Welcome to the Gotham Sports Report Podcast on 89.1 FM WNYU. Here are your hosts, Jack Dweck, Joe Kurtz, and Morris Zarif. Hello and welcome to Gotham Sports Report. This is a special episode of Gotham Sports Report. It's officially the start of the baseball season. Spring training has finally arrived. After all this time, we didn't know how we get a season. Questions about the DH, questions about baseball and players association really getting together. And we've moved past that um, temporarily enough to get a season. And hopefully it'll be a full 162 game season but before we get to spring training i will do a deep dive into the mets and yankees spring training and season outlook um i want to address the elephant in the room right now and that is sadly um it's just a jack and joe show today we are missing morris and you know it's his birthday week wish him a happy belated birthday um but really he failed to show up and and i think it should be said and really, I don't Our think this is loyalty. Away. Where was he this week, Kurtz? Where was uh, he this week? Please so, tell us. So me and Jack happened to do our nightly scroll through Instagram after a beautiful Nets win against the Phoenix Suns. And we happened to stumble across an Instagram account for this podcast. They call themselves Positionful, Position something. Positionless. Positionless podcast. They don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're saying. Positionless podcast. And we happened to stumble across the fact that Maris Arif was a co-host on the show Wednesday night. This- and these guys, so I went in and I listened. You know, I wanted to see what our competition was because obviously Morris values them over us. And it's okay. Absolutely. He can make that decision for himself. He's a big boy. And they were blasting Joe Harris. They said Joe Harris is a joke. Watching Joe Harris on the floor is a joke. The guy is shooting over 50% from the three this year. He's been instrumental for the Nets. I think he's shooting uh, 14 points per game. This guy is important for the Nets and for them to just blast Joe Harris and then to have Mars Zarif come from our show, which we're really knowledgeable. We know our sports to go on a show like that and be an intern for them. He's not even a co-host with them. He's a temporary intern for him intern. to take that. That's how they started off the show. Down. And why would he be willing to do that and not show up here? And our Come listeners, and I think we should address it. Our listeners don't even need to hear about how good Joe Harris is because they know all of this stuff. Exactly, stats. they already know this stuff. You don't need to tell them that he's the number one shooter in the league. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. They don't need to know that. The the thing that they need to know is that Mars Zarif betrayed us, and he went to go get a tan today for the second time, in the middle of recording season. He's out. 100%. And where was he? The guy I goes to Florida. To the- he comes back. He thinks everything's normal. No, we don't forget. We do not. I was okay. thinking of cutting some slack for him when I heard it was when when I, when it was his birthday on Wednesday, but I listened to the podcast. That's and why he did it, though. That's why he did That's it. That's why he, he did he it. Could get some slack, and they called it him was his birthday. Him. He thinks he thinks we'll you know we'll let him off for this one. We're not doing it. We're not, We're not doing it. it. We're not doing it. We will remember. We will remember. show up. That's that's the difference. So do we blame him for not showing up though? Because after his horrible Super Bowl picks, you know after his horrible Super Bowl picks, like, I don't know how I would show my face after that. I don't even know how we want to position this because I mean, if their if their audience clearly listens to us, they hear because we're number one show. They hear us. They probably heard his take. I, I mean, positionless. I don't know why they would take him on. 
but whatever. That's a different discussion. All right, for it's time. okay. We'll we'll. I think we should address this next week when he comes back. But speaking of showing up, um, this week, Mets and Yankees both showed up to spring training in Florida, the Yankees in Tampa, and the Mets in Port St. Lucie. And I just want to get into the Mets and really now that the offseason is done, get into grading their offseason. And coming into the year with the introduction of Sandy Alderson and Steve Cohen and really the new internship, uh, the new ownership, people thought it would be different. People thought that Steve Cohen would ride in on his horse and chariot and come in and spend big, get one of the top four free agents, really transform this team, transform the look of this team from a PR standpoint. That hasn't really been the case. I think the Mets had more of a Sandy Alderson um, offseason than a Steve Cohen one. I think that they had some really smart, savvy moves, but it wasn't there wasn't outside of the Lindor trade, which wasn't a signing, it was a trade. There wasn't a splash. But but why are Met fans all of a sudden just turning into Yankee fans? Like for the Yankee fans, we know it's never enough. You you always need to get that top free agent. You always need to fill in every single hole. You always need to. Low plus the luxury tax, you always need to fill in every single position with an all-star MVP caliber player. But why are the Mets fans after an offseason where they got a really good catcher, they got decent arms, they got Carlos Carrasco who's a good pitcher, and Francisco Lindor complaining that they had a bad offseason? That's because I don't I know think anybody of thinks I don't know if anybody thinks it was a bad offseason. I oh, think that's not true. Expectation that's not true. was set so high, and I don't think it was set high fairly. People thought that the Mets would just spend. And if you know Steve Cohen and if you know Sandy Alderson, it wasn't true. And if you came in with that expectation that the Mets would just drop money on Springer, that the Mets would drop money on Bauer, $40 million on a pitcher, and people are saying that the Mets should do that, I think they're crazy. I don't think that they, they, they came into this thinking that the Mets should do what's right. I think that they just wanted to see the Mets spend, and that would make them happy. And I think Sandy Alderson had to do what was right and say it's not just about spending. It's about making the right moves. And, um, but what the Mets did, I think, honestly, is better than what they could have done if they just signed Trevor Bauer. They signed, well, so like, let's, so let's they had, like, into, 10 Let's get into arms. the moves. Let's get into the moves that made, and we'll recap the moves that the Mets made this offseason. First, initially, they jump in, um, signing James McCann, really the second-best catcher on the board, and Trevor May. Um, Trevor May, I thought, was a smart signing, but I think that signing him so early in the offseason forced them to overpay. To pay $15 million for um, a reliever who really wasn't that sought out after um, where Brad Hand got less, I don't think it was the smartest move for them. The McCann signing, I thought, was smart because they weren't in the market for Real Muto. They wanted um, other players. They wanted to be in on Bauer, and they didn't think that they could do that for Real Muto. I agree. Um, the main thing is complicated because he's a good pitcher. So, like, if your complaint is that they overpaid for him. I don't know. I mean, they have, they're still under the luxury tax. So it's like they have money to spend. And if they're not spending it, like, why not guarantee that they're getting him? I looked at it the well, other way. I think, I think the problem with that is you're getting May and Luke, right? Who really weren't the top guys on the market this year. And you had Trevor Rosenthal, you had Brad Hand, you had closers, guys with closing experience, especially now that Lugo is going to be out for six weeks um, with the injury or with elbow surgery. The Mets needed more bullpen arms. That was their biggest need going into the offseason. That yes. and center field were the two biggest needs going into the offseason. And to not address outside of two pitchers, you're still going to be relying this year on Yuri Familia, Edwin, Edwin Diaz, Diaz, 
yeah. we go after, he comes back the same guys. So if really just adding one guy, two guys in, in, in main loop, that's not doing, that's not transforming a bullpen. That's just adding two guys. I wonder what their plan is with all the starters they got, because now looking at their rotation, they have an excess of starters, especially once Syndergaard comes back. I'll, I'll lay it out for you. They have DeGrom, Syndergaard when he comes back, Stroman, Carrasco, Tyone, Lucchesi, Yamamoto, Peterson. That's a lot of people. So they're going to have to move a lot of those into the bullpen. So you're going to see a lot of, if I had to guess, you're going to see a lot of long relievers, long relievers that are going to come in like the fifth, fifth and sixth inning, pitch an inning or two, and then pass it off to Lugo and then to Diaz or whoever the closer is this year. I think that this was probably like, I, I consider this the second stage of really the Mets offseason was adding the Luchessis, adding Carrasco, adding Jordan Yamamoto were these second tier, third tier, fourth tier pitchers that they could have. Sandy Alderson said the biggest problem with the Mets team going into this season, he said in his introductory press conference, the biggest problem is that when the Mets have a pitcher go down, right? When the Mets had Syndergaard go down last year, the biggest problem is that they have to call up Corey Oswald from AAA to, to have spot starts. You Not only can't that, have that to, happening. You can't have, have these guys that we, the Mets don't have AAA depth, and they needed to get that. They needed to get that starting depth, and I think they did that. And not only that, they had to bring out Seth Lugo out of the bullpen, make him a starter, which shortened the bullpen, which was already a problem for them. It just it just like shortened the whole team. And the Mets, as well as every other team, especially the Yankees, the other team in New York, they suffer a lot of injuries with pitchers. And something that you need to have on a championship winning team is a deep deep system of pitching and they have that now and two arms i forgot to mention mike montgomery who has a lot of who has a lot of mlb experience he pitched in the world series a couple years ago for the cubs the Mets, yeah yeah they have jared eikoff who's another quality like end of line pitcher that they could bring in in case of injury they have options if people go down and it's going to happen throughout the year that people are going to go down and the mets will have people to step up so that's what you have to hope you have to hope that their starters will do their job their hitting will score a couple runs per game hopefully more for Jacob DeGrom because we all want to see him get some wins and that they'll have that Edwin Diaz will return to normal or play at least like what he did last year, which wasn't bad. We'll have a normal Juris Familia and that's a lot to bank on, but that's and what we, 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 we just glossed over. We didn't we mention it. The adding of Tyron Walker. Yeah. Um, really a late off season addition, but I think one that could really be a savvy move for them. Um, it's a short term deal with a lot of incentives for the Mets. And it's one that if they have to let one of Stroman or Syndergaard go and, and he had a great, and, and Walker builds on his 2.7 ERA that he had last season could be a great signing where they could let one of Stroman and Syndergaard go if they have to um, next off season, if they want to extend the ground or if they want to um, re-sign Conforto, they have a lot of free agents next year. So I think the addition of Walker really paid off, but the biggest move for the Mets this off season um, really the two biggest moves, one a non-move and one a move, um, was the trade for Francisco Lindor. And I still don't think that it was the best move that the Mets could have done. I think it was a great move, but I don't think it did the most out of the potential deals. I don't think it did the most to improve the Mets. I don't I think hear that. that I hear that. Shortstop does the most to improve the Mets. I hear that, but you're bringing such a level of excitement to New York when you bring in Mr. Smile, Francisco Lindor who's such a playmaker. He has a history of leading his team to the playoffs. He led the team, the, the Indians, to the World Series in 2016. This is a big-time player who, when he's on, is a top-10 player in baseball, not only offensively. He'll hit you 40 home runs. He's a switch hitter. 
he's also probably the best defensive shortstop in baseball. So they got they got him on a bargain. And not only that, like they brought in Carrasco with him. So I think you maybe didn't address the biggest need in the team because you didn't need shortstop the most. But when you're able to bring in that type of guy, it's like, let's bring in James Harden, a different sport. You don't need James Harden. You have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But the problem I see with that, the problem I see with that, and I agree with you for the most part, but I don't agree with you on this. You do that when you don't have needs anymore. The Dodgers could do that with Bauer. They could add that guy, that character, because they don't have needs. Right, they could add more. The Nets didn't have needs, but they could add more on top of that. The Mets had a need, and that need was center field. And there was that guy available in George Springer that yeah. to fill a need. And they didn't fill the need. Alvaro Mora's uh, Kevin Pilar, they're not filling the need of center fielder. They're doing the same thing that you've done for the past four years, and that's a defensive stopgap. And the Mets of- are gonna end up putting out Nimmo and Dom Smith and Conforto, which is the worst defensive outfield in baseball again. Yep. And, and I know that it's not measurable, and I know that the stats don't show up, but bad defenses hurt pitchers. They and speaking, hurt pitchers. Speaking of not paying George Springer, this week, Fernando Tatis Jr. signed a 14-year, $340 million contract. And every Met fan knows what this means. Next year, when Francisco Lindor is a free agent, he is getting a boatload more of money. Because, A, he's 20, what, 7 years old? He has a a whole career behind him, not just one season in MLB. And he's going to get paid a lot more than $24 million per year. So I'm kind of also happy that they didn't get Bauer for that one reason, because you're going to have to put so much money into Francisco Lindor next year, besides the fact that Syndergaard and Conforto are also going to be due for money, that it's kind of good that they didn't get that, honestly. And the Mets kind of put themselves in a position where they have to either re-sign Lindor or get one of the top four shortstops right, the Correa, Story, Lindor, and I forgot the fourth, um, that are going to be free agents next year. They have to put themselves in a position to get one of those players where they're going to have to spend big money because they let go of Ahmed Rosario and Andres Menes. Really, there are two only options um, at shortstop. So now they put themselves in a position where they're going to have to spend money on a position where they didn't spend money really for the past six or seven years where they had Wilmer Flores, Ruben Tejada, and, and, and uh, Ahmed Rosario. But the problem still stands in that center field. You're, you're not fixing that for the future. Nope. It's like the Mets have like this long running tradition of just fielding out just like these below average hitting defensive only center fielders. It's like all the way since Angel Pagan has been here. What's the big center fielder that have they had? Like I, I can't even name you one. Right. Well, I think that I think the, the last one was really Carlos Beltran when he was younger and he could field. Uh, and then well, and he ran into Mike Cameron in the outfield. After that, you guys have not had one center fielder. Right. And I think it's cost the Mets. And, and it's, it's not calculable like the way offensive stats are, but I think it does make an impact in the long run. On the Mets. But let's turn away from the Mets and really um, get into a team that is disappointed, I'd say, frankly, for the past couple of years. Um, the Yankees, where they've had amazing regular seasons, somewhat inconsistent, somewhat plagued by injuries, but they still have the talent that I think could win a World Series. And I think that getting the team back together, signing DJ LeMahieu, bringing back Brett Gardner, who is the heart of the team. Um, I think these moves, small as they are, really no big additions like Trevor Bauer, like the Dodgers did. I think the Yankees are still in contention for a World Series this year. Who else in the AL is really like their biggest threat right now? Like, who could you look at right now and tell tell me 
that you know definitively that they are a better team than you. Right, the AL is a joke. I think yeah. it's uh, the AL. I compare it to the NBA a couple, like two or three years ago. The East versus the West. The West just dominating the East. I think that the NL and AL have gone to that point, and they were evenly matched for a really long time. I don't think it's that anymore. Especially last year, it got accentuated with the divisions playing each other. The the um the East versus the East, West versus West, and Central versus Central. It really shows strength is in the AL and NL East, really. Um, and the AL East got worse this year. Yeah. Like, the, Rays the Rays had to get rid of two out. of their top starters. Uh, the Blue Jays are the really only team that made uh, additions. I don't think there's anything else. The Blue Jays, they got Springer, but they have no pitching outside of Ryu. So it's like the Yankees, their biggest threat in my mind is probably I, – I can't. I don't even know. I don't know who I should tell you. Could tell you. Like, White Sox be, um, this week but, had the most. But the White Sox are just young in my mind. I, I don't see them ready yet. They're just a young team. They have good pitching. They have Giolito. They have Keiko. They just like got Liam Hendricks. Great signings. They have a lot of young talent. Of home run hitting, they have Tim Anderson last year's MVP Jose Abreu, but I don't know. I just don't see them being able to piece it the way that the Yankees could. Right, and I think that there's there's mainly four teams in the AL I see coming out: the A's, um, Minnesota, Chicago, and the Yankees. And I think that the Yankees could dominate all. Outside of, of Chicago, all of those teams got worse this offseason. Right, and especially if the Yankees rotation. If the Yankees' rotation stays healthy, if Domingo Armand comes back, um, pitching strong like he did before the suspension, um, the Yankees will be better, better suited than they were last year because there's less competition. Better suited than the year before, there's less competition. Outside of really in the World Series, I think that if the Yankees don't win the AL pennant, it will be a disappointment. And I think heads need to roll because this is the same thing. This team is the same team. It's built to win every single year, and they haven't gone over the hump. I think I think if looking at it right now from this moment, if you just froze time, yeah, it's a disappointment if they don't make it. Just looking at the ALDs, but things are bound to change. Injuries are bound to happen, especially to the Yankees. So I think it's a little too early just to say the whole season. But the, Yankees were, but the Yankees, the same problem has plagued the Yankees for the last couple of years, and that's injuries. And yeah. they built this team – on injuries also. Just on saying. injuries. Why would you sign Jameson Tyone? Why would you sign Corey Kluber? Guy, it, it's, it's like the high-risk, high-reward game that they're playing, and I don't think that they should have played that game. I think they should have gone for dependable arms, and I think that they should have brought back Masahiro Tanaka. They obviously didn't agree with me. Uh, who was a dependable guy? He's not a guy who, who, might, who might win the Cy Young but might get injured. He's a guy that will show up and play. Yeah. I think that's what he the played, Yankees needed. He's they played the last couple of years. Who might get injured and not play a game, or or might have a Cy Young season? He's played the last couple of years with the torn UCL also, so this guy is like a baller. He'll go out there and pitch for you. But the thing that the Yankees did this offseason is they like just like hedged their not hedged their bet. They doubled down on their bet on injuries. That they're saying that we have this superior training staff. That like Corey Kluber worked with Eric Cressy, their their train their head trainer, who's like the guru of all trainers and baseball for some reason, even though the Yankees suffered so many injuries last year, so I'm not going to get into that. They bet down on that. They're really tempting fate. They traded for Tyone with two Cy but the the upside on these guys is tremendous, but I don't know if it's worth the risk, because especially this year when the AL is so wide open, you need to get to the World Series. Like, you need, or Yankee fans are going to have the the staff is the weakest part of the team. The Yankees have one of the best ballpens in in baseball. Yeah. Maybe the best offense in baseball, and they're, they're, 
doubling down on a injury-prone guys for their rotation, which is the weakest part of the team. It's not like they're taking high-risk, high-reward players to, to be in their lineup where they have players that could fill in if they fail. They're, they're relying on guys. They're going to have to rely on Kluber. They're going to have to rely on Tyone. Outside of, of Garrett Cole, who is there that you know could give you 200 innings no one. Of, of three and a half ERA ball? Let's look at let's look at it realistically. Let's say an average pitcher pitches thirty two starts per year. If they don't get hurt, we could see Garrett Cole going thirty two. How many could you see Corey Kluber going? I, I can't see over twenty five in his best year. Tyone, I can't see over twenty five. Herman, he hasn't pitched in two years either. Could you see over twenty five for him? No, and I think no. that he posted this week, but he doesn't want to play anymore. Yeah, I don't, this I don't, guy, don't. something's wrong with him. And Took I don't it back know, right away. Lying but... a guy like that. He has a history of that whole Instagram shenanigans. Right, and I think outside of pitching, I think the biggest, maybe not a problem, but the biggest question mark for the Yankees over the past couple of years um, was in the outfield, the sort of internal battle or the battle between fans of if the Yankees should start Brett Gardner or if they should give the young guy Clint Frazier a chance. And Yankee fans have been for years, years, wanting the Yankees to, to bench Brett Gardner in favor of Clint Frazier. And this offseason, Brett Gardner was a free agent. And I thought that the Yankees for, for sure bring back Gardner. The, guy, the guy's the heart of the team. But a lot of Yankee fans don't like it, and I don't see why. Uh, let me address this, especially to Mark Sarif, who voices opinion to me. The second that the Yankees signed Brett Gardner, he was, this, he was in dismay about this because of his reasoning was that he didn't want to see Brett Gardner taking an inning away from Clint Frazier. In his words, if Clint Frazier is hurt, I want to see him out there. I don't care if he's hurt. I don't want to see Brett Gardner. And here's that's all fair because I also agree that not with the injury part, because that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but I also agree that Clint Frazier deserves to start over Brett Gardner. He put himself in that conversation last year with his offense and his defense. Let's not forget he finished top three for Gold Glove. But here's the reason why I want Brett Gardner on the Yankees. He plays center field. That's that's like so under understated about him. He could play center field. You're forgetting he's he's a really good defender. And it's not when you're getting a guy for four million to play center field who's also not a bad hitter and is the leader of the clubhouse. Right. He's oh, a Yankee. He is he's a, Yankee. He's a Yankee. And you can't just give up on guys because you want someone to start over them. That's not how exactly. it works. You want the, the best guys on your team. These are good problems. If you have to decide who's going to start because they're both playing well, that's a good problem to have. Why would you rather sign someone worse so that you could start someone else instead of them? And what happens if Clint Frazier gets injured? Yeah, would you exactly. rather Brett Gardner over someone else? Exactly. And wouldn't you rather a guy who has 11, well, how many years? Since 2018, he's been in the league for 12, 13 years. With that much experience, with a gold, with a couple gold gloves under his belt, an all-star in his past, he's not far removed from being a good player who could, and he's still not removed from being a really good defender. Wouldn't you want that on your pinch? Like, it baffles me because that? also you just you want someone who could come in and pinch it off the bench. You want someone who could be a fourth outfielder because your three outfielders aren't playing every night. And how about this? We don't have any lefties on our team. He's the, literally like one of the only lefties outside, like Aaron Hicks, who's just a switch hitter. Right. Isn't that and something we should Carlos Stanton gets injured again, or if yeah. Aaron Judge gets injured again. You, these are problems that the Yankees have year after year to not address it, to not bring in extra talent, to not bring in extra outfielders. That would be a mistake. And I think that the Yankees getting Brett Gardner for $4 million, cheap contract, 
Get a guy you could depend on. Get a guy who's a Yankee. A guy that could do it in New York was a great move for them. Uh, but I want to move on from baseball to talk about um, really the, the the amazing week, really. Um, the week where we saw a different Nets team, a team that has evolved. Uh, a Brooklyn Nets team that has showed something on defense in addition to offense. This team that showed resilience, uh, being led by James Harden with Kevin Durant out with his hamstring injury. And I just want your reaction on, on what you saw this week um, after them beating the Suns, Sacramento, and the Lakers. I saw everything I needed to see out of this team without Kevin Durant on the floor. I saw a blowout in which we set our franchise record in three-pointers. So it was like 26 or 27 against Sacramento. We came in there and we dominated. The next game, we went to Phoenix and we started off so slow, but this team did not give up and we saw a comeback. So we have a blowout. We have a comeback. And now we're headed to Los Angeles against the reigning champion, LeBron James, without Anthony Davis, but I'm not going to give that to them because we don't have Kevin Durant. So let's not take, let's not like make it like it's not even there. And we dominated on defense. This was probably their best defensive game of the year. They forced 16 turnovers, which is amazing for this Nets team. They really held down LeBron, not the, um, the Lakers. Their team could not shoot from the outside. They shot, they scored like two threes the entire game. So the, the Nets, the Nets solved for me the two biggest issues coming in uh, after the James Harden trade. Number one, can they play together? Can this team with three stars figure out a way to play cohesively as a unit? And I think that James Harden is taking that leadership role where he's leading the league in assists now, I believe 11 and a half a game, um, to really become that leader who could facilitate on the offense, have Kyrie act as a shooter more so than a passer, to have Harden run the point and pass. That was our first concern, really. Who could control the ball? How could these ball-dominant players play? The second one was defense. And it was can a team that's as small as the Nets, can a team that's lack, uh, that's lackadaisical on defense really turn it up when it matters? And I think we saw the Lake, uh, against the Lakers that recipe, and that recipe is turnovers, forcing turnovers and not fouling. If the Nets could stay, could, could keep other teams off the foul line, if the Nets could force turnovers like they did, with steals, with, po- with with poke steals, like they did, that's the recipe for success. That's how you could win as a small team. That's how you could play stout defense as a defensive team. I truly believe, like, the biggest misconception in NBA is that James Harden does not play defense because I just watch him play every single, every single night, and this guy hustles on defense. He's tough to back down on. He's not the best in the league, but he'll get his hand there all the time for a quick steal, a quick block. He's always there. It's just a big misconception that this guy does not play defense. And I remember there was just like a string of plays in a row where the Lakers would get the ball, drive in, kick it out, and just be TLC there or Joe Harris there just for the steal. And it would be like, I think they forced like eight turnovers in the third quarter alone. And it was just like, this is something we haven't seen out of the Nets. And this is something we need to see out of the Nets if they're going to make a push for the championship. And if they could play like this on a consistent basis, add back Kevin Durant. Have Kyrie Irving shoot well because he did not shoot well against the Lakers, but he did shoot well against Sacramento and Phoenix. If they could add that all back, all play on top of their game, I don't see how this team is stoppable. I really don't. Right, and I honestly thank God that they got James Harden because I don't think that the Nets could have lasted having Kyrie and KD out one or two games apiece really every other night. 
they're missing games left and right, these guys. To have James Harden, who you know is going to give you 82 in a season, who you know is going to put up a consistent performance, who's going to lead the team, even when KD and Kyrie aren't on the floor, if they are, or if one of them, or if two of them are, are there, to have that consistent presence on the floor is so valuable for the Knicks. To have someone there every night to lead the guys like TLC, Shamit, Joe Harris, to facilitate for those guys, to have Harris, uh, to have Harden there is invaluable. And if they didn't, who knows what the, where the Nets would have been with KD with the hamstring injury, Kyrie not showing up again because KD is out after what we saw last time. What would have happened if Harden wasn't there? It's huge. It's huge. It really is huge. The best thing you love about James Harden is the fact that he does not believe in at all in load management. He says, if I am healthy, I am playing. If I'm a little dinged up, I am playing. You're going to have to put a truck in front of me to get me from coming to the stadium. I am going to play. And, and the thing that we're seeing out of him this year is the fact that he's willing to facilitate the ball because coming into the whole James Arden era in New York, we were questioning who is going to lead the ball, uh, who's going to lead this team, but more importantly, who is going to be willing to give up the ball. And James Harden will put up 25 points a night, but he'll also pass the ball 20 times to get 10 assists per game. And that unselfishness is really leading the Nets into these uncharted waters where they could become an NBA champion for the first time. And it shows they want to win. It really yeah. does. Because if they're willing to sacrifice for themselves, if James Harden is willing to sacrifice um, a scoring title, if he's willing to sacrifice his individual performances for the betterment of the team, you know that the Nets could go far because the biggest hindrance to this team would have been selfishness or each guy wanting the ball to themselves. And you're not going to see that. And I don't think you're going to see that on 10 more points per game. Championship. He could easily put up 10 more points per game, but he's willing to just pass the ball and set up open teammates. The other night, TLC hit five threes, and like James Harden is setting him up wide open for these threes. All right, guys, that's all for today. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to Gotham Sports Report. Um, tune in next week at 4.30. Um, thanks for listening.